thought what a great opportunity it would be to, to say publicly thank you for helping uh, uh, Danielle and I to get through seminary, uh, uh, raise two kids who are 10 months old. We had twins back in April. Uh, so it, it's been busy, but uh, this church uh, was huge in helping us to get through seminary. And so uh, I just want to say thank you this morning and hopefully bless your hearts uh, through God's word. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke 7. Um, we're going to be starting in, in verse 36. And while you turn there, I'll just tell you something God has been putting on my heart. Uh, something I've been thinking about lately is how there are these realities uh, at work that, that we can't see with our human eyes, that we can't hear uh, with our ears. But, but there are these realities nonetheless that are at work in our lives. They, they are real. Though they can't be seen, they're there. And, and, and God, through, through the Holy Spirit, He gives us this ability to tap into that realm, to, to tap into those truths through Scripture, through faith, to, to feel those things and to experience those things. Uh, when, when Danielle and I were living in, in Minnesota, we decided we were going to take a trip down to uh, uh, Colorado and, and stay with some friends. And um, we got on the road. It, it was cold. It was in the winter. Uh, we got on the road. The sun hadn't even come up yet, and, and we were driving. And we had gotten on 35. We were headed south. And all of a sudden, this object appeared in the road. And I don't know if you have a spouse like mine, but what Danielle will do every once in a while while I'm driving, she will just shout out things. I'll, I'll be driving and, 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 and she'll just blurt out something. In fact, it happened not too long ago. Uh, uh, we were pulling into a Chipotle uh, parking space to get something to eat and it was kind of a congested, busy area. And as I'm pulling in, uh, Danielle just shouts out, oh my goodness. And it freaks me out and I close my eyes and pretty much curl up into the fetal position uh, just waiting to get hit. Uh, nothing happens, and so I open my eyes, and kind of like a cartoon, I'm patting myself, just praising God that I'm still alive. And, and in the most Christianly way possible, I look over at Danielle and ask, what would possess you to yell something like that? And, and she yelled, well, somebody else was parking, and she was scared they were going to beat her in line to Chipotle, so she wanted me to hurry. Um, but... But on this occasion, as we're headed south on 35, I I'm driving. She sees this object in the road, and it freaks her out, and she just yells, Oh, my goodness! And, of course, that then freaks me out. And so I turn the wheel to get into the next lane when I hit a patch of black ice. I, I don't have to tell you what black ice is, right? Um, this causes my car to spin out across three lanes of highway into the ditch uh, on the other side. And we were fine. But I'll just say this. My, my car was, was never the same. It, it depreciated uh, uh, in value that day, which tends to happen when you don't have a bumper. Um, and that object in the road, it, just, it, it ended up just being an empty box. Uh, but I found out, uh, having grown up in Dallas, I, I found out that day uh, the consequences of black ice. And, and I'm driving. There's something there, but I can't see it. it it's there whether I see it or not. But, it, but it's there. There are spiritual realities. There are realities working in our lives, but whether we can see them or not, they are, they are there. 
Now, obviously, you could take black eyes, put it under the microscope. It is, it is a, a, a subject to science, but aren't there realities that, that are not subjected to science, wouldn't we say? I believe there are. I'll give you three examples. One would be morality. How about morals? Can, can, can science tell us uh, uh, what is objectively right or wrong? Most of us, I, I would think, agree that, that rooted in God's character is morality. And, and so that is not something uh, uh, science can tell us about. That's something the Bible tells us about. Uh, how about uh, beauty? Can science tell us what is beautiful? I think, again, most of us would agree that uh, in God's character, in who God is, he tells us some things uh, should be valued as beautiful, other things not so beautiful. But, but science can't tell us that. How about values, things we should value, and to what degree we should value them? Uh, it wasn't too long ago, my grandma, she was uh, uh, babysitting, and she, she had come over, and, and she turned on the TV, and I'm getting uh, ready for work in the other room, and, and, and I hear her turn on the TV, and, and it's, it's this sad-sounding TV show, and I can hear the violin playing, and, and this lady, she's just, she's just, she sounds heartbroken, and, and she's saying, I, I just didn't know that Fred didn't have that much longer to live. And I'm thinking, oh, Grandma, why are you watching that? Like, why, why are you watching that in the other room? And then I, I hear the announcer come on and go, and, and what was wrong with Fred? And she was like, well, he, he, got, he got diabetes, and I just didn't know he, he wouldn't have that much longer to live. And I think, Grandma, turn the channel. Why are you watching this? And again, the announcer comes on and goes, what was it that tipped you off that Fred was getting sick? And she said, well, he, he stopped eating, and he wouldn't stop licking himself. And I was like, what? Like, what is she in the room? What? Said, My kids are in there. And so I run into the room. Fred is a cat. And, and I look over at my grandma, and I mean, tears are coming down her face. And, and I'm like, Grandma, why are you watching this? And she's like, I've lost so many cats. And I'm thinking, cats? What about Grandpa? I guess his passing was just the circle of life. And I love my grandma. I love my grandma. But see, I get a little upset when you start putting animal life on par with human life. But science can't tell us that. The Bible tells us this, these things. What I specifically want to talk about this morning is valuing Christ valuing the glory of Christ, seeing the beauty of Christ, these things that cannot be seen with the human eyes, that cannot be heard with the human ear, but, but, but they are realities nonetheless. And, and every one of us, with the help of the Holy Spirit, has the ability to feel and experience the glory of Christ. But what happens so often is, um, as in, in my experience of doing ministry, people, uh, uh, Christians... Their thought life gets a little boring. It gets a little dry. And, and, and they're not really feeling anything at all. And, and so I want to talk this morning about what, what is something we can do uh, uh, that will help us to, to feel and experience the glory and the beauty of Christ Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be looking at Luke 7, uh, starting in verse 36. 
Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and, and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Uh, then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. So here we have this story where Jesus comes to this man, this, this Pharisee's home. We're going to find out his name is Simon. Simon the Pharisee. Uh, Jesus is eating at his house when this woman walks in. Uh, she's considered a sinner. We, we don't know exactly uh, what that means. Uh, probably maybe a prostitute, an adulterer. Something's going on here. Some have even suggested maybe this is the lady caught in adultery uh, 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 that Jesus had uh, forgiven and uh, said, go sin no more. But we really don't know. But what we do know is she comes in and, and starts worshiping at Jesus' feet. Uh, oh, weeping, tears of, of sorrow, uh, tears of, of joy. And, and she's at Jesus' feet using her hair and her tears to wipe his feet and, and this perfume to anoint him. And I think there's a tendency in us to be like, what would possess this woman to act like that? I, almost to look down on this sinful woman. But what I want to argue, this is something I bet every one of us in here really wants. This is something we all deep down want. I, I remember in college, one of the things we had to do was we had to go visit different uh, uh, denominations, uh, right? So the, we went to the E-Free Church, just amazing, right? And, and we went to the Baptist Church, a little more dry, a little more boring, with different denominations. But, but, but kind of the one that was uh, uh, really exciting or eye-opening for me, because uh, I'd never been in that kind of environment, was the charismatic. And, 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 and we went into the, this Pentecostal charismatic church, and in my mind, how I remember things were like these, these old women like running down the aisles with flags and, and kids doing like cartwheels and somersaults. And, and, and I remember people stood up and started speaking all kinds of things. I had no idea what they were saying. And, and it was just an easy environment to get your worship on. I mean, it was just an easy environment to get your worship on. In fact, I looked over at my Baptist friend. He had his hand up to here. I just knew this is like, you can, you can worship here, right? That is not this situation. That, that is not the situation that this sinful woman is in. Right? You've got the 12 disciples. You've got Jesus himself at this table. And these Pharisees sitting around this table. And this woman comes in and is able to worship at Jesus' feet. She has stopped caring what everyone thinks about her. She is determined. She is just going to worship Jesus. How many of us wouldn't want that freedom? So many of us are so caught up in what other people think about us. And, and so we're in bondage and we're trying, constantly trying to keep up with what, what, what people expect. And we're trying to wear the right clothes and we're trying to do our hair a certain way. And we spend an hour on our hair even though we want to, want to make it look like we just spent like, you know, two seconds on it. And, and we're trying to wear enough makeup and we're trying to make ourselves look good enough, have a right income, drive the right car. And we're in bondage to what everyone thinks about us. And that's how we live our life, constantly trying to please everyone around us. This woman has found freedom. Freedom to just worship Jesus. No matter what the context, she's going to worship Jesus. You telling me that's not something you would want? How about this? This alabaster jar of perfume that this woman uses, 
we know from historical context it's worth a year's income. That's how expensive this perfume. I'm sure there's some guys who went out and bought their wives for Valentine's Day, that expensive perfume, right? This is a year's income, and she breaks it. You can only use this once. Once you crack this jar, it's done. And she uses it on Jesus. So many of us were so caught up in the struggles of our economy, the things that are going on right now, that, that we're constantly worrying. We're constantly worrying. And this woman just says, I'm going to give what I have. I'm going to give a year's income. I'm going to give it to Jesus. I'm worshiping him. I'm living in light of eternity. And that's how I'm going to live my life. This is called freedom. Freedom from the worries of the world that she finds in worshiping Jesus. In the eternal things that really matter. And it was thanks to this church, people who did give their money, that people like me and so many others have been able to go to seminary study God's word and minister to others. It's called worshipful living, and I would argue this is something every one of us in here really wants. It's freedom found in worship. And the question is, how do we get that? How, how do we get that? I think, I think this story is going to tell us. Let's uh, pick it up in verse uh, uh, 40 here. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who has the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. So Simon, in his worldview, uh, uh, if you're from God, you are not supposed to allow sinful people in your midst. This is the worldview that, that Simon grew up with. But Jesus is going to tell this story of someone who owes a little money and someone who owes a lot of money. And both debts are going to be canceled. And he asks the question, which one is going to love more? Simon naturally answers, the one who had the bigger debt canceled. The one who had the bigger debt canceled is going to have more thanksgiving, more gratitude, more love spring up in their heart. You know, if somebody pays off your water bill, you say, thank you. If somebody pays off your mortgage, which is going into foreclosure, your home that's going into foreclosure, you're on your face in tears saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. So Jesus tells this story about how when larger debts are canceled, the gratitude, love, and worship increases. Let's look at how he's going to apply this to Simon's life. Verse 44. Then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head. But she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Simon has this faulty, faulty worldview. And Jesus is going to challenge that. 
And when we understand that in, in the cultural context uh, of this day, uh, over in Israel, and it's true today as well, hospitality is a very sensitive issue. And, and for Jesus to, to call Simon out like this in, 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 in the middle of his uh, little party, in front of his guests, this is, Jesus is shaming Simon a little bit here. And so it raises the question, we sense something is going on. What, what is wrong here? What, what is going on? You know, if, if, if you are in love with something like the Grand Canyon, if you've been to the Grand Canyon and you've viewed how just glorious and awesome it is, and, and you take your friend, you're like, you've got to see this. You have got to see the Grand Canyon. And so you drive your friend all the way there, and, and as you approach the precipice to look over the vastness that the Grand Canyon is, and you look over at your friend, and he oh, just kind of yawns. You would, you would, I think we would all agree. We, we would think there's something wrong with our friend. There is something wrong with our friend to appreciate beauty, to appreciate grandeur. Uh, there, there is something uh, wrong with this person to be able to see things as they are meant to be seen. We, we might even say our friend is a little blind. You see, what's wrong with Simon is he only has a little bit of love for Jesus. But, but when the God of glory uh, enters your life, comes into your presence, and you only have a little bit of love... There is something spiritually wrong with you. There is something spiritually wrong. You know, we live in a culture where people love Jesus. Um, I don't know if you're aware of that. We live in a culture where people love Jesus. I, I grew up in the Bible Belt. It's especially true there. People love Jesus. Who doesn't love someone who teaches about forgiveness? Who doesn't love someone who teaches about grace? Who, who doesn't love someone who says, do not judge others? I mean, people love to use those passages. People love Jesus. Young people walk around with t-shirts and say, Jesus is my homeboy. People love Jesus. I even talk to, to evangelize to people of other uh, uh, religions. They love Jesus. Oh, he's a good man. He's a great prophet. That is not the kind of love Jesus is asking for. Jesus is not looking for a little bit of love. He's looking for people who love him with all their being, heart, mind, and soul, who live their lives in worship of him. It is wrong to just have a little bit of love for Jesus. But Jesus, I thought you said if you've only received a little bit of forgiveness... Uh, didn't you say to Simon that, it, that, 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 that if you've only been forgiven a little, you, you're only going to love a little? Here's the problem with that. Jesus is talking tongue-in-cheek. He, he, he's being a little sarcastic here. He's not saying, Simon, you've only needed a little bit of forgiveness, just a little bump to get you in. He's saying, Simon, you only think you need a little bit of forgiveness. Uh, we're born with this condition. I, I don't know what it is, but we tend to think, uh, as long as I'm better than my neighbor, uh, uh, better than that guy in my family, right, uh, that I'm good before God. The problem with that is, even that guy in your family, 
he looks at the other family and goes, well, at least I'm not the guy in that family. <laughs> I mean, what are we going to do? Just com- you know, you can play that comparison game all day long. I guess it's kind of like a, 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 you know, a pyramid scheme where you just keep, well, I'm, at least I'm not that person, and that person's, I'm at least I'm not that person. At least, And then there's that one guy who's left at the end who's like, I can't compare myself with him. You know, I guess that's Hitler, you know. But this is the game we play. We, we, we like to compare ourselves with, with, with other people. But that's not what the gospel teaches. That, that, that's not what the Old Testament teaches. I mean, the problem with that is even in the Old Testament, it says even the righteous things we do, when we do good things for other people, when we try to do good, even those things are filthy rags before God. What do we do? I mean, it's not, we don't need just a little bit of forgiveness. We don't need a little a little bump from Jesus. There is something wrong with the entirety of us. We need a, we need a Savior. Uh, we, we need someone who can save us from ourselves. Someone who can teach us that we don't put our trust in ourselves, in our own righteousness to save us. We put our trust in His righteousness to save us in who he is, in what he accomplished. There's going to come a day for all of us where we are going to stand before the throne of God. That is a reality, whether you can see it or not. We're going to stand before the throne of God, and he's going to ask you in that day, why should I let you into my kingdom? You do not want to look to yourself for the answer. You do not want to try to look to your righteousness in the good things you did. The basis for your salvation is the one sitting at the Father's right hand and you want to point to Him. It is because of what He did. It is because of who He is. Jesus Christ is the one who saves us from ourselves. And when that dawns on us, when we realize that, when we realize it's not us and that we can give up trying to trust in ourselves and in our own righteousness, and it's all Him, Jesus Christ becomes beautiful. He becomes glorious and He becomes relevant in your life. But it's only when you confess. It only starts when you confess, I am a sinner. I I am a sinner. I'm a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God. There is nothing in me that is going to earn my way before God that you can possibly see Jesus show up as glorious in your life. Um, this is uh, something just in my, my personal ministry that, that I've been trying to help uh, many young people uh, uh, see because it, it's something that I believe um, takes supernatural work. It, it takes God doing this. Uh, God opening up our eyes to see that, that we are sinners because it is so easy just to get caught up in trust in ourselves. It is going to take God to give us those eyes, that ability uh, to see into that realm uh, that we can't see with, with, with human eyes. Danielle would always tell me, uh, you know, Minnesota's tough. When I, when I moved here my first year, I, I made a mistake in buying an old navy jacket. I, I thought that would cut it. 
uh, uh, I'm sure I don't have to tell you that that was a mistake. And, and I thought it would be a, a good deal because, I mean, it had fur on the hood. After all, I thought, surely this will keep me warm. But it was cold. And I don't have to tell Minnesotans. It, it does get a little cold here. And when you grow up in Dallas, you know, it's night and day. Uh, and in fact, even leaving Dallas, even though we got some snow before I came up here, uh, um, uh, it, it, is a, it is a night and day difference. It, it, it gets a little colder here than it does in Dallas. And, and when we were uh, even driving back to Danielle's parents' place, you know, I, I, I knew I was in Minnesota when I, I saw a snowman on the side of the road and uh, <clears throat> found out later that was actually a real person. <laughs> Apparently their bus got delayed. And, and so I, I knew we were back in Minnesota. I'm like, wow, it is just, it is beautiful here, but it is cold and it is hard. And one thing she would always say to me is, okay, so you're going to have to endure these winters. And these winters are, they can be tough. But when the, when the sun comes out to stay and, and it melts away the snow and life returns to the land, she said, no one enjoys that like Minnesota. No one enjoys that, like Minnesotans, who spend their days at the lake just absorbing every minute of it. And as I lived here for four years, I found out that is so true. You take advantage of the summer months, don't you? In the same way, just how you have to go through that summer to be so much more grateful and loving of the summer months, you have to go through that season of admitting and confessing I am a sinner before God. There is nothing in me that's going to earn my way before him. I I don't have the power in this relationship. He does. You have to go through that winter season of the soul, so to speak, before you can appreciate and value Jesus Christ. The warmth and love of Jesus and what he did for you on the cross. Validated as a worthy sacrifice through the resurrection. Let's close this thing out. Um, Verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Um, You might be confused a little bit here because Jesus says your sins are forgiven. That's a little confusing. But he's not saying you've you've worshipped me and so now your sins are forgiven. That would subvert the whole story that he just told. I mean, the whole story was first the debt is paid, right? The sins are canceled and then the person worships. So what Jesus is saying here. I confirm you truly have been forgiven. Your sins truly are forgiven. You have believed that you are a sinner, that you could not earn your way, but you have seen that I am the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. You have believed. And as we sit in this home of these men who are supposed to be religious, they can't see me. They they, they can't see me. But you, you have looked past flesh and blood and you have seen who I am that I am the glorious king of the universe you truly are forgiven you have seen who I am 
in a room of men who cannot see me. They can't see into that realm. And notice he says, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith, it comes through believing, through faith. Believing what Jesus Christ has done for us. Who we are and what he's done for us. And so as we reflect on this, I just want to ask you a question this morning. Where is your spiritual thought life at? How glorious is Jesus in that heart of yours? How often do you contemplate, are you sensing right now in your being his beauty, his value, his relevancy in your life? In my years of ministry, I've talked with so many people that, um, you know, their thought life, it's so spiritually boring, it wouldn't get played on PBS. It's dry, it's nothing, there's nothing happening. But what this passage teaches us is it's when we confess, it's, it's when we realize we are sinners, we are sinful, and there's nothing in us that, that, that is going to save us in and of ourselves, but that Jesus, the one sitting at the right hand of the Father, he does it all for us. That frees us up. That frees us up to worship, to worship him. What he has done for us, has that ever dawned on you? What, what he has done for you? I mean, he has purchased eternity for us to become children of God who, who are destined to do great things all because of Jesus. And, and I don't want you he- hearing me say that, okay, so, so are we supposed to uh, well, uh, reflect on our past sins? I mean, are we supposed to dwell on, on, on our sins, on the things we've done? No, that, that's not what I'm saying. You don't need to reflect on your past. Uh... uh the Bible says God has taken your sins from you. If you've asked for forgiveness, as far as the east is from the west, you don't need to reflect on your past sins. I mean, if you're like me, you just need the next 20 minutes. You don't reflect. You don't make yourself the focus. You make Jesus the focus, but in light of who you are and who the Bible, and what the Bible says about you. That's how Jesus shows up as glorious and as beautiful and as relevant in your life. And I know some of you, you're like, it's Valentine's Day. You're thinking you're going to get a sermon on marriage. And you're like, oh, it's a little serious. And, but I promise you it's relevant. I promise you it's relevant to marriage. When Jesus Christ becomes beautiful in your life, everything becomes more beautiful in your life. Everything becomes more sacred, including your spouse. You learn sacrificial love like he loved you sacrificially. It, it changes everything. I can tell you every day when I walk in and look at my twins, I love them. I love them. But when I am walking with Christ and when I am feeling him and when he feels close to me and when I have these great affections for his glory, I will walk out in the living room where they are playing and I will tell you, I will weep. It changes. I will weep. And of course, I blame it on allergies every time. But it does something to you. Everything becomes more beautiful when Jesus becomes beautiful in your life. And so I'm just, I feel compelled to ask you just to, to sort of join me on this journey that I've been on where 
I want to feel more of Christ. I, I want to feel more of Him. I want to see His grandeur and His glory. And so I'm just asking that you, w- with me, would come with me to the precipice of, of His glory and, and we can behold Him and worship Him for who He is. That we will be able to see into that spiritual realm feel things, experience things that will take our breath away. Bow with me in prayer. Dear Holy Father, I just, I thank you for Jesus. I I thank you for your Son. He truly is wonderful. He's glorious. He's marvelous. He is our King of kings. He is our Lord of lords. He so gracious, so beautiful, so forgiving. What he accomplished for us through the cross. Let that live in our hearts. Let that take life in our hearts. I just ask that you would help us uh, to every day want to see more and more of him. We find that freedom that comes in worship and we're just living our lives for him. We're so in raptured by his beauty that that fountain of gratitude spills up in our life and overflows into worship just let us have more of that the power of your Holy Spirit and we pray all this in Jesus Christ's name Amen Thank you Brent thanks for sharing your passion for following Jesus Christ with us and Thanks for sharing from the scripture this morning. As we close our service today, we're going to be taking an offering for our vocational scholarship fund. The ushers will be at the back, and it will be done as an exit offering today. But I want to explain a little bit about this. Uh, It was probably 10, 12 years ago, maybe uh, about that long ago, I was over at the high school for the awards banquet. And as I was sitting there, I was listening, you know, and if a student was going to be going on into uh, medical work, uh, there were scholarships from the local hospital or other organizations that help students go on into medicine. And if they were going to go into teaching, there were scholarships from the, the Teachers Association, or if it was agriculture, there were scholarships related to that, or whatever area they were going into. And I was sitting there thinking, you know, what happens to the student that God's calling into ministry? And who helps them? And we talked about that here among our leadership board and at the church, and we decided to set up a vocational scholarship fund to assist those students that are going on into ministry. Uh, it costs a lot of money. Uh, many of these schools that the students attend can cost as much as thirty dollars to $32,000 a year. But most of those colleges and seminaries have matching programs that when a church gives a scholarship to a student, they will match that and double that. And in some cases, it's 500 or or 1000 or even up to $2,000 that they will do that. So what we give um, counts a lot. It gets doubled in terms of how it helps those students. And we have had six students this past year that are uh, preparing for ministry. Uh, we have Kristen Tengwall, who's headed toward missions. We have... Um, I'll get in trouble here. I haven't written their, all the names down, so I'm doing this off the top of my head. But we have Cheryl Benson, who's going on into youth ministry. 
Mark Muha, who's doing biblical studies and going on into pastoral ministry. Uh, we have uh, two students that are at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which uh, they are Gail and my sons, uh, Jason and Matt. Matt's going on into worship ministry, and Jason is working on his Ph.D. in Old Testament, hoping to teach someday at a seminary or Bible college level. And then Brent, who is attending Dallas Theological Seminary. And I just think it's really cool. It's part of our commitment to want to raise up laborers for the harvest and to see God use that. So as we close today, I'm going to close our service in prayer. And as you leave, if you'd like to give something to that vocational scholarship fund, you can do that. Uh, The ushers will be at the back or at the exits this morning. And then uh, the very last thing after I pray, as a happy Valentine's wish for all of you, I just want you to stay. We're going to have a brief DVD that will end our service on a humorous note with a Valentine's wish, and then you'll be dismissed. So let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're doing in our church. Thank you for how you are touching lives and changing lives and raising up students for ministry. And that is just so exciting to see. And we pray for these students that are preparing right now and more to come as I talk to those in our high school and college ministries and those that are active and seeking God's will. And Father, we're excited about that. And so would you take these gifts this morning, bless them, multiply them, put them to good use as we join with you in what you are doing to raise up laborers for the harvest. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.